cutting out on me, and I tried to stop singing that last song, but I just couldn't. Praise the Lord. What a blessing it is to be in the house of the Lord, to worship Him, and to lift praises to Him, and to truly know and believe that He is mighty to save. What a blessing that is. We continue our study this morning in the book of James. I'm going to ask you a couple questions in opening up. Do you have a desire this morning to do the will of God? I ask you to ask yourself that question. And your initial reaction may be, yes, I do. But do your actions show that? Do you deeply desire within yourself to do the will of God? Do you know what the will of God is? That's what we want to talk about this morning. How do we discern the will of God? Do we have a desire to do the will of God? We're going to be looking, we're going to be looking at James chapter 4, starting at verse 13. And we're going to listen to that, and then we'll, we'll get into the message this morning. Whenever you're ready, Daryl. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord. We thank you for this text this morning. We thank you for the truth that James had for the Jewish believers of the time and the truth that he has for us this morning, Lord. We pray for your wisdom as we seek to learn and, and, and look through this this morning, God. In Jesus' name, amen. As you see in your bulletin, in your message notes, I've broken this down into three different points this morning. The first thing we want to look at is the trouble. What is the trouble? And in a nutshell, the trouble is making plans without any consideration to what God's will is, to what God's plans are. And as we look at this first verse, we see some presumptions that, the, that some generalizations that James made about some presumptions that these Jewish believers were making. And he calls them out on it. First, he tells them that you chose your own time. Verse says, today or tomorrow. Secondly, they chose their own location for doing business. So you go to such and such a town. Third, they chose their own duration, their own amount of time. They deciding to spend a year there. Fourth, they chose their own enterprise, their own business. They decided to trade. And finally, they chose, they chose their own goal and their own objective as they were there. And that goal, that objective was to make a profit. That's quite a list, isn't it? These individuals, I mean, again, it was a generalization, and just as you couldn't make a stereotypical statement about everyone in the sanctuary here this morning, but I think it was a very pronounced problem that James saw in these Jewish believers but you see, they had a lot of details, didn't they? They had it all figured out, the, the time, the place, the, what they were going to do, what was missing. 
there's absolutely no room for God in these plans. As James laid them out, was there? It was all about what these individuals wanted to do, what these individuals had planned. No consideration to what God had for them. The other thing that doesn't exist in this plan is no allowance for variables. There's a lot of variables in life, aren't there? And how many times do we approach life not considering the variables? We lay out a plan. We think it should go exactly as we have laid it out. And when it doesn't, we get very frustrated, don't we? And we think it's everybody else's fault. That can be our human tendency. And these plans, these generalizations, as James laid it out, they left no room for any variables. They left no room for God. And God's not variable, but life is. Life sends us different twists and turns, doesn't it? But God has plans that we know nothing about. Things that he is waiting to tell us, just like with the disciples. He withheld information from them concerning his death and resurrection until the time was right. And that's what he does with us. These individuals that James was talking to, they planned as if they themselves were omniscient, as if they themselves were omnipotent and invulnerable. The reality is they thought pretty highly of themselves, didn't they? They thought they had it all together, didn't they? They thought their plans were going to go perfectly, didn't they? Do we think pretty highly of ourselves? Do we think we have it all together and The reason other people's plans don't work out is because they're just not as good as we are. Maybe they don't have the intelligence that we have. Maybe they don't have the connections that we have. Maybe they don't have the drive that we have. Maybe they don't have the faith that we have. You heard that one before? Do you think too highly of yourself? I can be guilty of it at times. And it never fails, does it? When we think we have it all under control, I like to use the terms, the wheels fall off, don't they? And suddenly everything is careening out of control, and we just don't understand, and and that's when God is so faithful and loving to bring us back to Him and say, okay, are you ready to listen to me now? Are you ready to let go of your plans, your desires, and listen to me? Jesus gives us a parable in Luke chapter 12. Starting in verse 16, we're not going to read it word for word. We're just going to kind of hit some of the points. But again, it's Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 16. And this is a parable about a rich man. And this rich man had a bountiful harvest of his crops, of whatever he was raising. And he didn't know what to do. He ran out of room. He ran out of storage for these crops. Well, what did he decide? He decided to build bigger barns. Seemed logical. Don't have enough room, you make more room. In the parable, you see that he made no consideration as to what God would want him to do with this excess. But he took it upon himself to make more room for his crops. In fact, he told himself to relax. Relax your soul. You've taken care of yourself for years. Now just relax and and enjoy the, the excess of your harvest. What did God tell him? God told him that his soul would be required of him that very night just talking with Jim in the foyer this morning and he was relating a story and I remember when he was going through this of a co-worker who 
one day Jim was having a conversation with him and he had all these plans. He was going to work one more year and then he was going to go to retirement and he had things he wanted to do in retirement. The next morning, Jim found him on the floor and his life had ended. Our plans can change. Our plans are not under our control. They are under control of God. Jesus went on to tell, the, God went on to tell this, this man in this story, now where will all of your possessions go? Your life will be called from you this very night. And all this that you've stored up, these bigger barns and everything you put on them, where will it go? On to verse 21 in Luke 12. God says, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The focus has to be God. God does give riches to some people on this earth. God gives riches to some faithful people on this earth. But if they make it about those riches and they don't make it about God, it's not going to go well with them. We, God's desire for us is to always be focused on Him. Whether it's talents that we have, whether it's abilities that we have, whether it's material possessions that we have, we have to understand that they're all God's. Can you see this in your life? Can you see where you like to take credit for your talents, for your abilities, for your possessions, for your intellect? Where you like to have people look at you? Do you forget to give the credit to God and to know that you have what you have only because God willed it to you? Only because God gave it to you? And are you seeking to use it to glorify Him, to honor Him, to serve Him? And the way you best do that is by telling others about him to bring them into the kingdom. Do you have any room at all for God in your life? You say, well, I'm here this morning, Kevin. That doesn't tell me anything. That doesn't tell any of us anything that we're here this morning. Because this is where we're supposed to be. If you want to look at it from a social aspect, it looks good, doesn't it? But are you here because it looks good? Or are you here because you have a desire to fellowship with fellow believers? You have a desire to worship God in a corporate setting. You have a desire to learn about God. Or are you here because it looks good? Well, that takes us on to the second point of our outline, the truth. We see the trouble. Now let's look at the truth. And in this, talking about the truth, we, James gives us two realities. The first one, he says, you do not know what tomorrow we bring, will bring. We talked about that a little bit already with Jim's co-worker. In Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1, it says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. You know, as human beings, as individuals, without any understanding of who God is, that can be a very unsettling verse, can it? We do not know what tomorrow holds, do we? No one knows the future. God does. But we don't know what tomorrow holds. And if we did not, if, we, if you don't have a relationship with God, to me, just to think of myself of not having the understanding that tomorrow is in the hands of God, that would be very unsettling. We like to have control, don't we? We like to know what's coming. But Christians have the comfort of knowing God is in control. We have the comfort of knowing that we don't have to know what's coming. We know that God is sovereign. That God is omniscient. That God is omnipotent. We know that as Christians. We have that faith. Sometimes we forget it. Sometimes our, our view, our perspective gets clouded. 
but we know that that God controls every event and every circumstance of our lives. You guys have probably heard me say it before. I don't believe that there's any such thing as a coincidence. I believe that God orchestrates every detail of our lives, and we have choices to make within those details, but nothing surprises Him. And He has a purpose for everything that happens. Every what seems to be insignificant little happening, God has a purpose to teach us something or to help someone else or to teach someone else. I believe that with all of my heart. And I believe that God weaves all of this into His perfect plan for us. In Romans chapter 28, verse 8. 8.28. And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. There is no greater peace than to know that God is sovereign. Do you understand this morning the reality of God's sovereignty? The fact that He is in control. This world is never out of God's control. Yes, things look dark and evil exists and evil happens, but it cannot operate outside of the will of God. God uses the events of this life to direct us, as I just mentioned, to teach us, to shape us, to sanctify us. But none of it is out of His control. Nothing is spiraling to a disastrous end. God knows what's happening. He knows what's going to happen. The second truth that James brings us is the fact that life is temporary. In fact, he says, you are a mist. You think about a mist. And you think of, I think, first thing that came to my mind when you walk outside and the temperature's kind of cold and you blow out a puff of air and there's this cloud in front of your face and then it dissipates, it goes away. It's very temporary. Our lives, whether we want to admit it or not, are like that mist, as James says. They're very temporary in the light of eternity. Do you live your life like it's a mist? Do you understand how temporary your life is? We know that school is going to end someday. I'm 23 years away from my high school graduation. It was 23 years ago. We know that children are leaving, don't we? Becoming more and more real to me as my oldest daughter turns 13 this year. Those of you who have teenagers, those of you who have children who are married, they say, oh, Kevin, just wait. I understand. I'm still not looking forward to it in some ways. In many ways, I am. But to know that my time with her under my roof, in my house, is very limited. It's temporary. It is but a mist as far as eternity is concerned. We know that our loved ones are dying, don't we? Some sooner than others, unfortunately. We've faced the ugliness of cancer. We've faced the ugliness of illnesses. And we get very... What's the word I'm looking for? We get very diligent at getting every moment we can out of the time that we, we have left them, with them when we realize that time is drawing to an end quick, more quickly than we had anticipated. We get more purposeful with our time with our loved ones when, when we realize that, don't we? And I assume that once my daughter gets old enough and she gets ready to go to college, if she decides to go to college or if she just, wherever she goes, wherever the Lord leads her, that as that time draws nearer, I have this urgency that I want to do more things with her. I want to talk with her more. Why don't I have that urgency now? And at times I do. When, I, when reality hits me like now, but there's, there's times you just go day to day to day and you forget the fact that life is but a mist, that we are but a mist. 
Do we truly understand how temporary, how much of a mist our life is when we're making our plans, when we're living our lives? Do we grasp that? That brings us to the third point, the trail. You say, Kevin, what's this? It's a stretch, okay? I want another word to start with a T. <laughs> and the reality, what, what we're looking at when we talk about the trail is the plan, the path that God has laid out, how he directs us, how he guides us. How does he do that? And what do we do about the trouble? What do we do with the truth that we know? We know that God has a path for us. Well, Kevin, should we even make plans? You know, should I have been tempted this morning to say, well, I don't know if Sunday's coming or not. I just won't plan a sermon. Maybe it won't happen. Was it good that I studied all this week and planned for a sermon this morning? Yeah, it was good. You guys wouldn't have been very happy with me this morning if I hadn't. But we need to make plans. We're called to make plans. That's part of our responsibility. Proverbs chapter 6, starting in verse 6. It says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Sounds like plans to me. Does it sound like plans to you? We have things to plan for. We talked about graduation. A number of you here this morning, younger people, you may be seniors now. But as we all know, you start earlier than that to plan what you want to do for your careers. That was one area in my life where I was fortunate. I knew from fifth or sixth grade that I was very interested in technology. I didn't have any clue at that point that I might be in ministry. That came later in my high school career. But I was very interested in computers. Very interested in technology. But some of you go into your senior year. Some of you go into your first year of college and you're in general studies because you don't know for sure what direction you want to go or which way God wants you to go. You have plans to make, don't you? Some of you are looking to be married. I know Felicia and Tom are getting ready to get married in November. Uh, We have another wedding coming up next Saturday night. My mind went blank. Whitmer. Katie Whitmer, yes. Sorry, I want to make sure I got it. We have that wedding coming up Saturday night. Some of you are making very immediate plans. Some of you are just beginning to date. What criteria are you using to find that mate? Are you asking God, do you really even have for me to be married? That's a tough one to ask, isn't it? I was 27 years old before I found my wife, and, and part of what God brought me through was coming to the end of myself. It's like, Kevin, you don't have to have a wife. You need to ask me what I have for you. You need to ask me what I have planned for you. And it was a journey. And it was a tough journey. We all have decisions to make and plans to make. For our careers. We talked about college. And even once you get out of college, your degrees can be so flexible. What are you going to do for a career? What is God asking you to do? So, Kevin, well, it's not a pastor. It's not a missionary. It's, it's not a Bible teacher. It doesn't have to be. God God calls doctors. Luke was a doctor. God needs school teachers. God needs professionals of all kinds. And you have an opportunity within the field that you're called into to serve him and to minister to other people. But what is God asking you to do? What is he calling you to? Have you asked him? Have you sought his guidance? In retirement, a number of you are getting ready to, to go into retirement, I'm sure, and thinking, what will you do with your retirement years after you 
have ended the career that you're in now. My dad always told me that retirement is you get to do what you want to do instead of what you have to do. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And I think about that different times. But as you're going into retirement, you have decisions to make. You know, how, will you ha- how will you scale back? How, will the money reach? What, where will you live? What will you do? How will you pass your time? Will you be able to volunteer somewhere? See, what it comes down to, brothers and sisters, this morning is we do have to make plans. We're called to make plans. It's part of our responsibility, as I said. But we have to hold loosely to those plans. As human beings, we want to hold tightly to those plans, our plans. We have a place we want to go. We have a certain amount of time we want to be there. We have certain things we want to do. And that's what we're going to do. But God wants us to hold loosely to those plans. We make those plans. We get things in line for those plans. And we understand that those plans can change. That's where God wants us. And he wants us to know that those plans can change by his will and by what he has for us. Our material possessions, that's one big vice we have, isn't it? We've saved all this money. No one else gets to have it. We need this money. It's part of our security. We hold tightly to that, don't we? We can in our flesh because we feel like if we don't have it, then we're scared. We don't know how we're going to maybe get our next meal. That's the seeds that Satan can start to plant. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe we think if we don't marry this certain person that our world's going to end. That it just has to be this person. Maybe if our friend and I go, go separate ways, if, if we don't have common interests anymore, it just we feel like it may be the end of us. But we don't know what God has planned. He may be opening doors in another area, another friendship, another group of friends even. The young people, I counted at one point and through my lifetime, and it's still going. Changing churches was a big, big change. I've had four or five completely different sets of friends in my lifetime. We tend to try to hang on to friendships. And maybe that's not what God has for us to do. Maybe he wants us in a whole new realm of people to teach us new things, to take us new places. Yesterday we had the opportunity, Bert and I had, to go visit with Paul and Shirley. And many of you who have been at Providence here for a number of years probably know their story well. But a few years ago, five or six years ago, I believe it was, when Shirley got sick and they couldn't figure out what was going on, Paul had a lot of decisions to make. He had made some plans. They wanted to retire. They were going to step out of the, their lawnmower business and, and, and retire. But when she got sick, their plans completely changed. But guess what? God provided. He brought someone to, to purchase their home at a premium to help pay the, the doctor bills. He gave them another place to live. He brought someone to the door of the business to buy the business, and they weren't even advertising it for sale. God changed their plans, but he provided for the plans that he had for them. And they are so content. Their testimony is so amazing to sit and talk with them yesterday, to hear how they're resting in God. Even as Shirley lays in that hospital, with di- breathing difficulties, and looking at more treatment and more tests, but they are surrendered and they are resting in the plans that God has for him. Yes, they continue to make plans, but they hold loosely to those plans and know that God has control of them. Going to verse 15 in James chapter 4. James says, Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. How do you discern the Lord's will? What is the Lord's will? Basically, it means to determine. The Lord determines things for us. Yes, we still have a choice, but he determines his will, his plans for us. 
what has he decided? It's what he has decided for us. It's not what he hopes. It's not what he wishes we would do. It's what he's decided for us. How do we discern his will? How do we know the plan, the path that God has laid out for us? Well, the apostle Paul had to. If you read in Acts and through his letters, he will make a statement that he's going to come, he's going to go, or he's going to do something, and he often finishes it with, if the Lord wills. If the Lord declares, if the Lord desires. How do we determine that? How do we determine the Lord's will? As I finish up this morning, I want to look at three tools that I believe God gives us to discern God's will. The first one we want to look at is studying Scripture. And I'll tell you what, there were some men up here this morning who nailed it. And I want to encourage you to listen closely to the exhortation that Tim gave you this morning. Look at your schedule. Because the common excuse for not studying Scripture is, I don't have time. The common excuse for not getting involved in the opportunities that we have to study Scripture expand our knowledge of Scripture is, I don't have time. I just refer back to Tim, and I'll leave it there, and ask you to search yourselves. But I ask you this, and I want to illustrate to you this morning the urgency of studying Scripture. On Wednesday evenings, they're, they're going through James now also, and I was here this past Wednesday night, and they were going through these very same verses. And the question came up, how do you discern God's will? Well, you have to study God's Word. And Galen Graber was there. I, I told him to be aware that I might use some sermon illustrations from the class. But Galen was there and I said, Galen, if you were asked to build one of the bridges, to design and build one of the bridges on I-69, could have you done it? And he said, well, nobody want to drive across it. And I said, but Galen, if you were educated, if you had went to be a civil engineer and you learned all of the specifics about how much concrete it took and how the soil type it needed and the type of steel that was needed and the, the strength of the steel you could be educated to build that bridge and to build it successfully and to make it functional. It's possible. Others have done it. One thing that it's kind of a running joke for men is when you're putting something together or you're trying to figure something out, if all else fails, read the instructions. You've heard that statement? Well, sometimes we go through our Christian life living our lives like if all else fails, read the instructions. Sometimes we go through our life trying to build our Christian lives just like we're trying to build that bridge without having any idea what God tells us about himself, about his nature, without understanding who God is. Because we don't read the instructions. We don't read his word. We don't study his word. You say, well, it's, it's too hard to understand, Kevin. It, is, it can be difficult at times. But we have so many tools available to us, not, let alone the classes that were mentioned here this morning, the opportunities there, but just in study tools and different translations, we have the things available to us to help us understand it. When actually, if we would admit it, we're too lazy. We don't, in our flesh, want to give the time that it takes. Or it may be that there's better things to do. Kevin, I would never say that. No, I hope not. But in a way, I, I do hope you would confess and say, I admit it. I've put, other things, I've put other things above studying God's Word. One of the things that pulls us away. I think another big problem is that as we study the Word, it's too convicting. How many times have you read Scripture and you got so uncomfortable that you closed the Bible and put it down because you didn't want to hear what God was trying to tell you through His Word? How many times has that happened to you? You see, if we want to understand what God's will is, 
what his desire is for us, we have to understand who he is. We have to understand his nature. And he's given us scripture to discern that. He's given us scripture to learn that. And he's given us many opportunities to be able to interpret it and study it and understand it. That's the first tool in discerning God's will. The second tool I want to talk to you about this morning is circumstances. And looking at the circumstances around us. And basically, you ask yourself the question, is this possible? Can this really happen? And one example I like to use in in this, the Bible, Scripture lays out many beautiful aspects telling us what to look for in a wife or a spouse. And as I was looking for a spouse, there was no Scripture that said Kevin Schwarzenegger is supposed to marry Amanda Ryan. And even though that I would have thought, I thought that she was the most beautiful girl I'd ever saw and I really enjoyed being with her, if I'd walked up to her and said, will you marry me? And she'd said no, that circumstance pretty well puts an end to it. You see, circumstances do dictate how we can proceed in God's plans. So yes, circumstances are another thing we look at. Is it possible? Is it an opportunity for us? You may have heard the statement that, well, Kevin, if you go by that, you know, people say open doors, you know, Amanda saying yes was an open door to me marrying her. A, a job opportunity that is offered to you may be, that's an open door. You may have been accepted to a college, that's an open door. But you may have heard the statement said that some open doors lead to elevator shafts. And what they're saying by that is, you know, just because it's an open door, it may be a disaster. And it may very well be. So that's why you don't depend on circumstances themselves. For you younger people, just because mom and dad left the keys in the four-wheeler, that doesn't mean you get to go have a joyride, does it? There are, there are things in place to protect you. And there are other rules. Those key, the fact that the keys are there doesn't just allow you to go take a ride. Circumstances are one of the factors, but not to be, not to be used by themselves as a deciding factor. The final test we want to look at is to seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now this is the one, I just want to confess this morning, I believe it gets kind of shaky. It gets kind of scary for people. People, oh, you're talking about being led by the Spirit. That's, that's dangerous. It's not dangerous. It's a beautiful gift. In John chapter 14, starting in verse 16, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it, never, it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's a promise that we have. It wasn't just for the New Testament church. That's a promise for us today that the spirit dwells within us to guide us, to counsel us, to teach us. How do you seek the spirit? How do you seek to understand the Spirit? Well, it begins and it ends with prayer. It begins and it ends with communication with God. Finish this statement for me. You have not... Okay, one more time. You have not... That's right. We have not because we ask not. God longs for us to seek Him in prayer. He longs for us to come to Him and ask Him to seek His guidance, to ask for His Spirit to guide us. God also speaks through a peace 
upon our spirits. He speaks through unrest in our spirits, a hesitancy. He speaks, using a computer term, through direct download, I believe. And another way to put that is inspiration. He, he inspires us with thoughts. Sometimes as I'm, as I'm studying for sermons, a, a thought will just come into my mind and I'll go look for Scripture and there it is. It's validated by Scripture, but it, He directed me. He, he sent me directly to it. That's inspiration. That's guidance of the Holy Spirit. It's available to each of us as believers. It's not limited to pastors. It's not limited to clergy who we try to hold up on a ladder. We are all equal in the priesthood of all believers. God seeks to minister to each one of us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us from God. It sounds mysterious in a way, doesn't it? But what a promise it is. Paul lived it, and you see it all over his writings. You see it in the testimony of his life. That spirit is available to us today. God's spirit longs to speak to our spirits. But it's gotten a bad name, hasn't it? I want to ask you another question this morning. What do you do when people question you? When you say that you believe that God has told you this is what you're supposed to do. How do you respond? Do you listen to them? Do you process what they're telling you? Or do you say... How dare you question me? God told me to do this. I encourage you this morning, brothers and sisters, don't use it as a trump card. If they're asking you some uncomfortable questions, some things you can't answer, don't put your hand up and say, God told me. No, listen to what they're saying. Process it by God. They may be wrong, but you might be wrong too. You see, part of seeking the Holy Spirit is to seek counsel from others. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22. Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. Sometimes we're too close to a situation. Our flesh is so involved in a situation, whether it be with our children, whether it be with our spouse, whether it be with anyone that we love, whether it be with something that's costing us financially. Whatever it is, it's very close to us. Sometimes we're too close to it that our flesh just overwhelms our spirit. And that's when the counsel of other believers, the wisdom comes in going to them and asking and seeking. And sometimes we're too proud to go to them and God sends them to us. And then we're too proud to still listen to them. You say, well, why doesn't God just tell us? Why didn't he just send me an email? Why didn't he just give me a phone call? That's not the way God speaks to us. It's much more intimate and personal relationship. And you say, well, why, God, why doesn't God tell me I ask you the question, why don't you listen? Why aren't you listening for God? What's getting in the way? Any of these three tools, the Scripture, circumstances, or the Holy Spirit, they can mislead us. We can be misled. You say, even Scripture can mislead us? Scripture must be processed by the Holy Spirit. 
Scripture must be interpreted by God's divinity, by His Holy Spirit ministering to us. But if you take Scripture on its own, it can be taken out of context. It can be used as an impersonal hammer. It needs to be handled with love. It needs to be handled with sincerity. If you take circumstances by themselves, we can go down the wrong path in a big hurry. There's a lot of things available to us in this world today that the world makes available to us that we could consider open doors, but they're not opened by God. They're opened by the world, by this sinful world. If we try to live life claiming to just be led by the Spirit, not allowing ourselves to be checked by the Scripture, I want to make the statement this morning, the Holy Spirit will reveal nothing to anyone that is a new revelation to the Spirit. He will reveal nothing to anyone that is contrary to what is written in the Word of God. It will not contradict, it will not change the Scripture that we are given to study and to understand. But I I believe through fear, through misrepresentation, through abuse of so-called living by the Spirit, that we have become fearful of the Spirit. And I believe there's power available to us to guide us, but it must be balanced. It must be in check with the revelation that God has given us in Scripture and by what He allows in His circumstances. You know, circumstances can change. The the answer in a a situation may be no now, but it may be yes in the future. And that's God wanting us to wait. He has a reason for all of that. I ask you this morning, what are your plans? What are you looking to do? Whether Whether you're getting out of school, whether you're getting out of college, whether you're looking to get married, whether you're going into retirement, what are your plans? Are you holding loosely to them? Are you saying, God, these are my plans if it be your will? If you're saying it, do you mean it? We often know the right thing to do, but we claim ignorance. We often know that a decision we've made is contrary to the will of God, whether we want to admit it or not, but we claim ignorance and we try to push forward and we try to validate and justify what we're, do- what we're doing so to make ourselves feel better. But what does James say about that? James says that if we know what to do and we don't do it, it's sin. And that's the way he closes this chapter. He says if we discern, if we know the will, the plans of God, and we choose not to do them, we are living in sin. I encourage you this morning, are you seeking the will of God? Are you making, are you surrendering, submitting your plans to the will of God? Do you know what it means to search, to understand the will of God? Are you reading your Bible? Are you studying your Bible? Are you taking opportunities to learn who God is and the very nature of God through your Bible? Are you processing the circumstances of life through what you have learned, what you believe as a Christian? Are you listening intently for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to your life? Are you living the Christian walk? Or are you living by your flesh? I encourage you this morning to search yourself. I encourage you this morning to seek God. To go to Him in prayer. To go to Him broken. We talked about humility the last few weeks. Last, last two weeks ago specifically. Humble yourself. Lay yourself out and say, God, I'm yours. Remember we said, it's not about me. It's about you, God. It's about what you have planned for me. Let's pray.